Hello, and welcome to Safari Conversations, the Singita podcast. Even though we've been around for 30 years, we're relatively new to podcasting. But we are storytellers by nature, and we've got so much to share with you. Alongside our conservation partners, we've been busy exploring and protecting Africa's wilderness. So join us as we unpack inspiring, fun, and sometimes crazy stories where you'll meet our incredible people and learn all about the special places in Africa that we call home. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, please subscribe so you don't miss out on future episodes. Hello, and welcome to this latest edition of the Singita podcast. My name is Richard Holmes. I'm a freelance travel journalist based in Cape Town, South Africa, and my work has a particular focus on Africa, sustainability, and safari. In this podcast, we're talking about sustainability in the world of luxury travel, and especially safari travel. For me, it's always a curious contradiction that while travelers will fly across the world to marvel at Africa's wild spaces, many don't think too carefully about just what's being done to protect them. Perhaps part of the problem is deciding how we define sustainability. Is it about offsetting the carbon from your flight to Africa? Is it about supporting local communities while you're here? Is it about not asking for a straw to sip that sundowner cocktail? Or is it about what powers the light bulbs in your suite and fuels the vehicle for your game drive? In this podcast, we'll take a deep dive into sustainability in the luxury safari industry and pick apart just how Singita is embedding sustainability into every aspect of its business, from eliminating single-use plastics to limiting the carbon impact of that crackling campfire in the Burma. To help us do that, I've brought in Dr. Andrea Ferry, who is Sustainability Coordinator for Singita. Andrea began her career in finance and first joined Singita as the group accountant before taking a step sideways into the world of sustainability. It's fair to say she's never looked back, and today she brings that sense of financial acumen to the incredible sustainability work being done in each of Singita's 15 luxury lodges and camps spread across four African countries. And I think that's key, because unless sustainability itself is economically sustainable, it's not going to achieve its goals of preserving and protecting Africa's wild spaces and uplifting the people that call them home. Andrea, hello and welcome to the podcast. Hi, Richard. Fantastic to be here and speaking to you at last, uh, especially on my favorite topic, which is sustainability and in this ecotourism and conservation industry. So let's maybe start with an, an umbrella view and how you approach this, this kind of ephemeral notion of sustainability uh, at Singita. First of all, let's consider Singita's mission, which is to preserve and protect Africa's wilderness for future generations. Always start really when looking at sustainability in an organization of what is their mission and how does that link into sustainability? And this is a very obvious one. If we want to preserve and protect Africa's wilderness for future generations, we as a, as a business or as an, an operation need to be sustainable. Then in order to kind of explain what sustainability is at Singita particularly, we came up with a set of concepts, and this was around understanding a sustainable world as one where people are living happy and healthy lives within their fair share of Earth's resources, leaving space for wildlife and wilderness. And so there's three main concepts within that, if you want to call it a strap line around sustainability. And the first one, and it comes first, is where people are living happy and healthy lives, because Research shows that unless a person is happy or, or living pretty well, they're not going to have the care for the environment that's necessary. You know, they're, they're just trying to stay alive and, and, you know, make a living. So with any sustainability program, you have to consider the people aspect of it. And then that obviously has to be contained with, within our fair share of Earth's resources. We have a finite planet, and so we have to be very careful with the resources we have. 
And then Sangeeta's main mission is is also the leaving space for wildlife and wilderness. So that is a key part we had to bring in that maybe you wouldn't see in a lot of other sustainability definitions at other companies. So, yeah, I hope that explains how we think about sustainability. A very multifaceted, has to involve people and, and the environment and particularly that focus on wildlife and wilderness. And how has that approach changed over time? Because sustainability, it feels like over the last, let's say, 10 or 15 years has become, if not a buzzword, it's become something that's not, 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 it's not a nice to have anymore. It, it, it's integral to so many safari operations. Um, has it always been key to the Sangeeta philosophy from the beginning? I mean, the mission has always been there around preserving wildlife and wilderness and working with communities. But sustainability in terms of the business operations maybe came in a little bit later. You know, once the awareness grew that you can do an amazing conservation work, you can do incredible community work, but unless your business is building and operating aligned with that philosophy, it's not a complete picture. It's not a full support of the brand. So, and I think, as you said, over the last 10 to 15 years, I mean, growing awareness, and especially if you're an ecotourism operator, it just doesn't make sense if you're not doing sustainable operations when you're trying to, you know, preserve wilderness and, and support communities that live around you. And have you found that there's more of an impetus these days coming from guests, not a case of, well, we think that we should be preserve, you know, we, we should be more sustainable in our operations. Are guests demanding this? We've seen guests pick up more on the sustainable features that are at our properties. We're seeing uh, more guests ask about it, and, and especially among the younger guests who are more aware of environmental matters and social matters for that matter. And we see a great appreciation for it at our lodges. It really makes me feel like things are working if a guest has made a comment or a journalist who's been to our properties making, are making comments around sustainability. It's very gratifying. And we are seeing that pressure and pressure from not only guests, but also potentially investors who want to see us doing the right thing and staff. You know, staff also want to be working for a company that's doing the right thing. So there's a whole lot of benefits to being more sustainable um, yeah, and, and not just from the guest perspective. Absolutely. I mean, what, what I've enjoyed over the last 10 years of traveling in Africa is seeing how sustainability is becoming embedded into every little facet of a guest experience, where it's not just a case of, well, we're conserving 50,000 hectares of bushveld and, you know, this is a good thing and, and we're being sustainable. You know, I've stayed at some lodges recently where that commitment goes down to, uh, you know, the little ceramic dish in the um, or a metal bowl in the in the bathroom where, you know, previously you would have just had disposable single use plastics. Maybe let's talk about how because sustainability is such an ephemeral topic, it's so hard to get a real handle on it. Let, let's talk it through as if I was a guest arriving at a lodge for the first time. How does sustainability kind of get woven into each step of my stay? That's a great question. And, and there's, there's two lenses. One is what the guest actually sees and then what is all happening behind the scenes as well. But let's just talk about what the guest might see. And let's start with their invoice, actually. <laughs> so on our invoice will be a carbon offset levy. So Zingita introduced last year a carbon offset levy for every guest stay. So we calculated what that carbon footprint per guest per night was on average, and then went to the carbon markers to see what that would cost to offset. And now that is integrated into our invoice. So a guest can be assured they're having a carbon neutral stay when they visit us. Before you go any further, can I dive into that a little bit before we go? Um, that's something that's always, you know, you're obviously dealing with the, the nitty gritty of this every day. The carbon offsetting program is always, again, it seems like, well, I pay my couple of hundred dollars and, and off it goes into the wide world. How, how does that money actually get spent and used and, and have some real impact? 
fact on the ground because it always just seems sort of a tick box and uh, it's hard to know that it's actually having an impact. Yeah, no, that is a challenge, Richard. Um, we were very careful about choosing our carbon offset partners to make sure that they were going to be genuinely doing what they said they were doing, that we were going to be offsetting our carbon. We searched long and hard for offset providers in the specific countries where our lodges are, South Africa, Rwanda, Tanzania, and Zimbabwe. And we were also looking for accredited carbon credit providers so that they were being externally audited and verified and, and were part of a verification international verification system. So this gives us more comfort that they are really doing what they say they're doing with our funds. So what I often find with this notion of sustainability is it's hard to pin down. So maybe we can you can talk me through how I experience sustainability as a guest at Singita from the moment I you know arrive at the lodge. What we really want every single one of our guests to experience is the real lightness that we take in treading on the earth. We, we use the phrase treading on the earth lightly, and we try and do that in multiplicity of ways. The ones that are more evident for a guest, you know, visually to see is most likely in their guest suite. We did a full sweep of what single use plastic might be in this, in the suite. And can we swap that out? Can we have definitely long moved away from like single use plastic amenities? We use all refillables. Um, we look at our, our guest amenities tube and make sure that is sustainable, both environmentally and, and socially. Like where have the items come from? Can we source as locally as possible. So they'll see even in their mini bar, we focus on removing the plastic in the mini bar. So we're still trying to find a few minis that are not plastic, um, but they're mostly glass tin. We even make our own iced teas for inclusion in the mini bar rather than, you know, buying carbonated sugary fizzy drinks. So there's a real focus on trying to make every single thing you can see or experience in a guest suite sustainable. The goodies that we make on site are wrapped in cornstarch plastic, which will biodegrade when they go to a landfill or go into our, our composting or wet waste. Things like the materials that the lodges build of, we try and focus on on sourcing those as locally as possible. Our lodge, Singita Kwatanda in Rwanda, 70% of the building material weight was locally sourced. And I'm not saying from Rwanda, I'm saying from that local region. So in what we find, also that brings benefits in terms of a sense of place, in terms of putting uh, funds into the local community. And so we hope that that feeling, that sense of place of being in an authentic building that reflects the local area is felt by the guests. When it comes to meals as well, a strong focus on, on sustainability in our kitchens. Our chefs are absolutely incredible at this. You know, it goes from both the environmental, i.e. Um, how is it grown, where is it sourced from, to the ethical around understanding where the meat comes from. In terms of portion size control, in terms of what we offer on the menu, uh, slightly more vegetarian forward than we used to be a number of years ago. And even down to shifting away from, say, a guest must never see the same thing on the menu in their three-day stay to going, no, it's okay. If they can see that, whatever that is, whether that's um, a salmon or whatever, in different forms over their stay in order to avoid food waste, which is not only an inefficiency and a sustainable issue, but also a moral issue. So, we, yeah, the, the main things I would say for a guest would be in their suite, in the building itself, and then on the table. I mean, you're obviously, all, all of these lodges are operating in incredibly remote locations. So that comes with a certain carbon cost just in terms of getting the people and, and resources there. Are there other ways that you're managing both the inputs to the lodge and the waste that's generated? 
Obviously, we try and source as locally as possible, so we don't have to be transporting goods, food, etc., over long distances. We actually set quotas for our interior designers that they need to find X percentage from preferably the local country, if not the region in Africa, if not the African continent, and limit what we import onto the continent when it comes to designing and building our lodges. Yeah, with with limiting our, our footprint as well, there's clever things you can do, like our procurement office in Joburg consolidates deliveries and orders have two trucks going out to our South African lodges that with consolidated deliveries that also bring back items. So it's it's also about being smart with your logistics and trying to be efficient there. The same with staff transport in and out of our properties, being very clever and efficient, making sure our vehicles are efficient, making sure you design schedules that are most appropriate so that you can get what you need to operationally, but you're not wasting. And and in, and in terms of dealing with uh, waste afterwards, I mean, I'm thinking of things like, you know, the, the wine is such an integral part of the Sangeeta experience, but now you're, you're shipping all these wine bottles to a lodge in the middle of, let's say, Tanzania. What happens to them? You can't ship them back to Cape Town, surely. All of our properties have a recycling program in place. So sorting on site, the right infrastructure, training of staff around what can be recycled where. And then we also partner with, uh, you know, waste collectors and service providers who are able to channel our waste to the places where it can be recycled. This is very challenging in certain places. So we, we do our best and we're constantly looking for solutions. So the glass bottles end up at the Singita Sasakwa or the other Tanzanian properties. They've come up with a, a, a few ways of dealing with this. The one is that um, a lot of those glass bottles are sent to an NGO in Arusha called Shanga. They employ physically challenged uh, people who then make glassware, beadware, homeware, and those glasses end up, have ended up back at Farifari Lodge on the table. So a beautiful full circle of resources there. But we were providing, our guests were drinking a bit of wine and basically Shanga didn't need every single bottle we produced. So we needed to come up with a, a second way of dealing with glass. And someone clever on the property said, well, why don't we get a crusher, mix it with our murram and our road surfacing materials. And then when we do redo the roads of the concession, we, we use it in that way. So I'm constantly amazed at the clever innovations that, that our lodge staff and obviously our, our partner funds and trusts come up with to deal with sustainability matters. And that for me is when I know sustainability culture is well inculcated. When people on the ground are coming up with this idea, it's definitely not me giving all these ideas. I mean, you, you need every single person in that lodge from, you know, the host up at the up at the bar to the, 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 the guide or, or ranger on, on the game drive to really have kind of taken that on board and, and share that same culture of sustainability. And I think that's really wonderful. Because if I come as a guest, how do I access some of the information about what's being done in the lodge? Is there somebody there that can sort of talk me through exactly how this lodge is managing to to limit its impact? Yeah, so the general staff or general fund of house staff that the, the guests would come into contact will have knowledge of this. There's training in place. Um, they have sustainability inductions when they first arrive to give them the lens of sustainability for the particular lodge they're operating in. We also have appointed one planet champions at each property who are deeply passionate and specialists in sustainability for that lodge. They are responsible for doing staff training and staff engagement and being knowledge, very knowledgeable about 
what is happening for sustainability at, at their particular property and they will be more than happy to speak to guests. Sometimes guests are very interested in the technical back of house things like our, our solar plant, for instance, and then we'll, we'll pull in our technical services managers who will then give them a, a full detailed and more, um, you know, more technical tour of the solar plant. In fact, it surprises me. There are quite a few guests that actually want to see our back of house areas and, and look at our, our solar plants. So, yeah. Tell me a bit more about energy then. It's obviously a massive input for the lodge, whether you're trucking diesel in or how do you power the lodge? How do you power the vehicles? And, and what have you managed to, uh, to do to kind of limit the, uh, the impact that the lodges are having? Yeah. So Richard, every lodge has got its own context, uh, depending which country it's in and how carbon heavy that, that grid is, whether they're on the grid or not, whether they're so remote that they're not even on the national grid. And also whether their grid is more coal heavy, like South Africa's versus Tanzania, which is more dependent on hydropower. In fact, our, our Rwanda lodge, Kwatonda, is literally 100% hydropowered through, through the, the national grid, um, at that particular region. So, um, different contexts for different properties, uh, but our general movement is to try and bring renewable energy to absolutely every single property we have. More than half our lodges already rely on, on solar energy to a certain degree or not. Uh, so, Sangita Labomba and Sweeney, as well as the staff village for that services that lodge, that we moved in 2017, we, we started a massive solar project there. It's over a megawatt hour of, of power there. And it's now providing over 80% of energy. So clean solar energy to operate those lodges. That property was never on the grid. So we were running diesel generators back of house 24 seven. And not only was that, you know, not great for the environment from a carbon footprint, but the noise as well. Now with this, the new plant, it can be absolutely quiet, which is really beautiful. Doing that project, sure, we cut our generator diesel by over 80%. So, yeah. So those really, those big infrastructure projects really shift the needle when it when it comes to carbon and energy, and especially in a South African context where it's, it's come. We, we definitely see it's, it's the way forward, both economically and also from a conservation point of view and from a carbon point of view and having a distributed grid. You know, it's, if you can create your own energy, it's not as uh, unstable sometimes as, as someone else producing it for you. So yeah, lots of opportunity there. We have quite a few solar plants up in our Tanzanian operations um, and, and definitely looking at rolling out more in the future. Okay. Are there, are there firm goals that you've put in place for that? At the moment, we are saying that every single new acquisition or new property will have renewable energy. So we would not look at a new property unless we could do that or whether it already has renewable energy. And we'd also are aiming for a target of for our off-grid lodges to be powered 80% by renewable energy and any on-grid lodges to at least be 30% energy. It also, as you referred to the financial acumen, it also depends on the business case. You know, so sure, we've come through two years of COVID and we need to gather our resources before we can jump into a, another big capital project like this. But yeah, the, definitely the plan is within the next five years to have solar at absolutely every property, except maybe Rwanda where, the, where it's hydropower and, so, and it's a small lodge. So we- 
Yeah, and I think it's also important for guests to realize that because I, you know, I'm walking to a different country, I wouldn't be aware of just how green a certain country's national grid is. Uh, I wasn't aware that most of Rwanda's power would be from renewables. So, yeah, that, that's, again, an important part of the education that, um, that the, the lodge staff or guides can impart to guests along the way. Um, I mean, the, the reduction in diesel, you know, burning diesel to, to run generators is fantastic. The one thing you can't get away from is you want to go on game drive. <laughs> So, you know, and the game drives are six hours of your day. And, and that's pretty much why everybody is, is, is coming to Africa. So what can be done on that front? So, I mean, there's really exciting things happening in the vehicle industry in terms of moving to um, electric vehicles and away from ICE or internal combustion engine vehicles. And we are absolutely dying to get some good options here in, in Africa to roll out. They make so much sense for the safari experience from being way quieter so guests can hear birds, hear animals, the guides can hear more of what's happening on the radio or rangers can pick up what's happening in, in the bush to being able to charge it during the day when the guest is usually enjoying the lodge and, and having lunch um, and then the, the drive goes out in the morning or evening. There are some fantastic examples out there. We've recently trialed one that we're quite excited about, but it's still going to be a few years before I think we can roll out full electric vehicle fleets. In the meantime, we try and be as efficient as possible with how we drive um, in terms of guard training with the vehicle, in terms of making sure we maintain those vehicles. We also encourage guests if they'd like to stop and do a walk instead of driving that, that extra kilometer. Yeah, super excited to, to end up with a, a full electric fleet and that, that will just tick that box on that safari experience. Again, though, I think part of the conversation there is it's not a case of, well, let's just run electric, because if you're running a diesel generator to charge that electric vehicle, you're, <laughs> you're coming out even at the, at, the, at the very best. So those two sort of projects have got to run hand in hand, right? You've got to be working on your sustainable energy sources before you can look at something as kind of flash and, and obvious to guess as electric vehicles, as nice as they, as they may be. Yeah, I mean, ideally, first prize is to run your electric vehicles off renewable energy. However, I still see a second prize in running it off the grid. Number one, you're signaling to the market that there's a demand for electric vehicles, which is going to help and push that industry forward. You are still delivering a fantastic guest experience. You're getting the guest used to the idea that the industry is moving that way. And we can get into a heavy technical discussion, but evidently, it's still better <laughs> to power an EV off the grid than to power a, a, an ICE vehicle with diesel. Right. And in terms of their capability in the bush, I mean, I think if I was a guest rocking up and you showed me this electric, essentially an oversized golf buggy and said, right, we're going to go and look at some, you know, some, some lions and leopards where, you know, in a golf cart, um, I might be a bit nervous. Is that, would I have any cause to be? No, absolutely not. I mean, Singita would never roll out a vehicle unless it was absolutely happy and had trialed it extensively and was satisfied with, with the quality of that vehicle and what it could do. Um, we're getting very good feedback on our trial in terms of the technical ability of the vehicle, but also some reservations, which are, are things that would need to be sorted out before we rolled out a fleet. But yeah, they, they, they're powerful. They um, have good talk, I've been told, by the people who gave me technical feedback um, and traction in the bush. So we don't have one yet that we would just roll up, but we definitely um, are keeping our eye on the horizon for that. 
what I love about that notion of the electric safari vehicle is that it's both improving the guest experience and enhancing the sustainability of me coming on holiday. So, you know, you've got a real intersection of two great outcomes. Uh, are there any other ways that Singita has kind of managed to make that work where the sustainability is improved, some good work is being done, and I'm having a fantastic experience? I mean, it was a few years ago that, that Singita decided that, you know, the guest experience could be enriched by guests being more involved in the conservation and or community work that we do. Um, in fact, it's probably gone back even longer than that. So, so guests are now looking for a more authentic, a more richer experience when they come to the lodge. They're not just looking to come and stay at a beautiful lodge and, and, I mean, obviously here to see the wildlife, but a, a lot of guests are very interested in the more serious work. So, for instance, we've developed now safaris with a purpose where if there's, say, a rhino dehorning exercise going on within the park, that a, a guest will be invited to join that and go through that really emotional but very um, incredible experience. Um, so to see the behind-the-scenes work that's happening in the conservation field, it really brings home the, the plight of, of our wildlife and, and why the guest or why we're there in that space to try and assist. And then when it, you know, the community aspects as well, um, we do offer in certain of our regional community tours to certain projects and guests are often so inspired by that um, and inspired to, to partner with us and help with those projects. We recently had a guest who decided to sponsor all 10 of the students at the Singita Community Culinary School in Rwanda. Uh, just really amazing. So we are so excited when when a guest actually wants to see or be involved or, or shows interest in the, the behind-the-scenes work, not just the hospitality work. That's fantastic because quite often, I think, for a lot of guests, that conservation work that's happening is is often in the background, and I'm just not aware of it in the course of my my day to day stay at the lodge. How? What are some of the other ways that guests can really get an idea of that conservation work that's being done when you know outside of being on a game drive or talking to the rangers and the guides? Um, are there other opportunities for me to get a grip on the work that's happening behind the scenes? Yeah, absolutely. If you're visiting Singita Kotonda, we have a whole conservation lounge that is a almost a, a modern museum of conservation area focusing on the mountain gorillas, focusing on the Diane Fossey um, story, uh, a real multimedia type environment. And that has been such a success that we're planning on rolling those out to every lodge. I think uh, Singita Parmashana will be the one in Zimbabwe that gets its next lounge. So there'll be an experiential space to be and also to talk to staff who are knowledgeable in that space um, for that. One thing we haven't touched on where, I mean, these are all lovely experiences that we really kind of, you know, I, I can go and have a, an, an experience at the lodge or in the bush and get a sense of, of the work that's being done. But how does that play out in terms of, you know, cold, hard figures? Because this notion of sustainability can be quite ephemeral sometimes and it's hard to go, okay, all these good things that we're doing, are they actually having an impact? Have you got any numbers that you can talk me through around where you've come from or where you are now and just how we're actually making progress? It's very important to track data so we know if the interventions we're having are, you know, you're actually seeing that come through in the numbers and, and all properties send through monthly data on that. I mean, if I just look at the fact at plastic bottled water avoided. So way back when we, back in 2014, I think we decided, right, we're going to eliminate plastic bottled water purchased in plastic bottled water from all our lodges. And if I go back and look between 2014 and 2018, we saved 888,000 
500 ml water bottles from entering the waste stream across the group. So those are the kind of cool little stats to track and, and just give you a sense of scale when you actually do make a change. You know, last year we recycled 95 tons of, of waste across the group that would otherwise have gone to landfill. So, you know, things like looking at hyperlocal, if we move away from just the environmental into the social side of things in terms of employment, hyperlocal employment, so employment absolutely from the area surrounding that large South African properties, Alders, Ebony, Labamba, Sweeney, we have between 80 and 85% of our staff there are from that direct region. And even up at Singita Kutanda in Rwanda, 40% of the staff there are from the literally the, the closest town, Muzanzi, or the, the closest area. So, you know, these are awesome stats that I, I love to track. We've got things like, you know, of the 100 graduates that came through our Singita Community Culinary School at the last monitoring and evaluation exercise last year, they found that 85% of those were still in employment. And this is in a COVID year. So you got to know that, that something was working with that program. Yeah, um, we've got some fantastic stats that come out of when we do a, a new lodge build. So Singita Quatonda, we spent nearly $2 million um, in the local community building that project. And that's not Rwandan ride, that's local community. As I said before, 70% of those building materials were sourced locally. And in that first phase, 250,000 trees were planted to reforest that area. So, yeah, it's really fantastic having these stats come through. Um, my champions at the property sent through quarterly reports with these kind of numbers in them, and, and we're obviously tracking monthly as well. Is that sustainability context different in different parts of Africa? I mean, we talked about energy and in terms of how carbon heavy the grid is in South Africa versus East Africa or Rwanda. Are there other nuances to those different regions that also come into play? So Rwanda is, is incredibly strict about plastic coming into the country in the first place. So when we were building that lodge, for instance, our procurement team in Johannesburg had to come up with clever ways of avoiding what they would normally do, you know, in terms of, of sending goods. So they came up with a novel idea of shredding old uniform that had been sitting around the warehouse and using that for packing materials and then sending the goods up to Rwanda for the lodge. And then on the other side, they used that shredded uniform to stuff, say, scatter cushions in the lodge. So there's silver linings in these restrictions that we maybe have in different contexts. The wooden pallets that were sent up there with goods were, were remade by the, the construction team into school desks and donated to a local school. Yeah, there are challenges, especially around waste management. You know, what, what you can and can't recycle in a country, that, that's always, that is a challenge we find, especially in our remote areas and in different, different countries. But I love that some innovative ideas come through then. Where, where where waste recycling might be a challenge and there isn't a glass recycling place just down the road or, come, or coming to collect it from your doorstep. And then the staff are coming up with those incredible ideas like the, the glass workshops and the resurfacing roads. I mean, that really, that really shows that everybody is on board and thinking of, right, how can we make this better? I think I'm very lucky because Singita's staff are, are trained to pay attention to detail and, and think on their feet and be responsive. And that's from the guest experience, it spreads over into how they, you know, do their jobs from a sustainability perspective as well. So incredibly fortunate to work with, with such people. 
I think if you can put your accounting hat back on, I think, as I said at the beginning, what, what I like about a lot of these examples as well is that sustainability and profitability or, or financial, uh, or let's say sustainability and financial sustainability don't have to be at odds. I think previously, if you go back 10 or 15 years and you spoke to an accountant about some great ideas that are going to make a lodge more sustainable, they would see it as a cost. And I think that is probably changing and it's being, it's being seen as an opportunity now and, and examining those opportunities for sustainability also unlocks opportunities for efficiency and and that's never a bad thing for a company i think anyone who is looking at their company through a sustainability lens is going to run that company better uh, it's just absolutely focuses you on efficiencies it focuses you on resourcefulness it focuses you on not wasting so not uh, food waste is an incredible expense in in the hospitality industry so even when it comes to redecorating what can be repurposed reused elsewhere that's all going to save if you are training your staff and making them um, aware of say water management and energy management you're going to save on water and energy because now you've you've, you've trained your staff to be aware of that. And then also we we do have to think a bit more long-term. You know, the whole profitability thing has always been such a short-term thing. But for bigger infrastructure projects, for instance, if you just look a little bit further over the long-term than like one or two years, those projects can also make a big economic impact. So moving away from short-termism to long-termism is what sustainability is trying to make us do is think forward, think about that 100-year future. What can we invest now in order to ensure that? It's it's always great if you if you do have an obvious business case. For sure. No, I mean, the, I think the solar plants that you were referring to earlier um, at Singita in Kruger National Park, that's surely a perfect example of it where, yes, there's going to be an, an upfront capital expenditure, but over the long term, we're going to be saving 300,000 liters of diesel every year. And, you know, the the environmental impact is going to be is going to be massive there's other value adds there's the brand value that being sustainable brings so the ability to attract your guests who are particularly committed there or just moving in that direction the ability to attract quality staff who want to work for an organization that that's all ends up being cost saving as well the, the marketing value of, of those initiatives as well i think uh, that's quite key in terms of attracting the not not to say the right kind of guest but a guest who puts uh, a value on those things because i think if there's one thing that the last two years of traveling has taught us is that you know the privilege of traveling has was taken away and when we had it back again we should have realized that we, we want to travel in a certain way we're not just going to jump at the first holiday that comes across the travel agent's desk it's it's a case of we want to make the right decisions both in how to spend our money and in where to go and what impact our holidays are going to have and that allows us to be part of this bigger picture at Singita. And we're seeing a bit of a shift in travel patterns post-COVID so guests are coming for longer and not moving around as much and which is great for, for carbon and other environmental purposes but it's also great because a guest then gets to experience more of what we have to offer at the properties and, and have the chance to engage in those other activities and not just be rushing around on, on game drive so yeah it, it's wonderful to see i think people have been woken up to the impacts of globalization and what that means and how we all intersect with each other and what community means and and hopefully we can give a sense of that to a guest when they when they stay with us Fantastic. I mean, it does feel like there's there's almost no excuse for it nowadays because previously it was quite an arcane process, whereas now you know pretty much every global airline worth their 
with it, uh, with flying has a very established and, and verifiable and and creditable um, carbon offset program. So there's really no excuse not to do it, bar you know, wanting to save a few dollars. You mentioned firewood uh, and the wonder bag, and before we started recording, you were telling me a great story about being aware of the firewood that has that love that, that keeps that lovely boma fire going, because that's obviously a great part of the guest experience. But yeah, if we think if we, if we really drill down into the nitty gritty of my my stay, having a crackling campfire is is a nice to have and it's going to have an impact. Tell me about that. It's a beautiful aesthetic to have at the lodge. It's got a, you know, so rooted in the tradition of the safari, sit around a crackling fire and hear stories um, from fellow guests. And we still provide that, but we've just been a little bit more careful. So we now actually have a, a standard operating policy that the lodges follow on how much would they use, when to use it, which areas of the lodge to use it. So it's not just a, what well, let's just light every fire possible on this property because that uses wood. Um, and we have to be aware of that resource. And even if it is a, a minor contributor to our overall carbon footprint, we still need to be careful with absolutely every resource we use. And a step further than that, we have to make sure that that wood is coming from responsibly grown areas and it's not just being, you know, plucked out of a, a nice forest next door and, and sold to us. So we also look at, you know, where that wood is coming from. Is it certified? You know, it's, it's wonderful to throw this big boma fire together and we can do that on occasions, but we're just, uh, just a little bit more aware, just a little bit more careful. If, you know, guests look like they're heading off to bed, don't throw a whole lot more logs on the fire. Just, you know, it's just sensible. So it, it's really drilling down to what will, the, what are these resources we're using and how can we be efficient as careful as possible, but still producing an amazing guest experience? That, that's the aim. That's fantastic. I love the fact that you're drilling down to those little details as to uh, how we manage the campfire in the Boma. Um, we're running out of time, but how, if I want to find out more about what Singita is doing in the, in the realm of sustainability, where can I go? www.singita.com website has got a whole section on conservation, which includes our community biodiversity and sustainability initiatives and efforts. Um, some great blog posts out there. Also follow us on social media, uh, on, on Instagram and Facebook. Fantastic. Thank you so much for your time this morning. I mean, there's been so much in here to, to think about. It's certainly a topic worth returning to later on in the series. And I think what's really struck me uh, over the last 45 minutes or so is just how, how granular the approach to sustainability is at Singita. I think while some of the lodges that I've stayed at in my, you know, wearing my travel journalist hat, some of the lodge operators look at the macro issues or perhaps just the easy wins in the small details that guests actually see. But what's really struck me here is just how that sustainability is embedded right from the big blue sky projects around habitat and carbon impact right through to those those small important touch points in the safari experience including a lot that the guests may not even be aware of and i also love how, how it's not a top-down approach that the staff at each camp or lodge they're really turned in, uh, into champions of sustainability and weaving it into the guest experience on a, on a daily basis from that first morning coffee before the game drive and maybe there's a lesson in there for all of us. I think, you know, while it's important to apply our mind and make the right decisions when it comes to those those big ticket items, choosing how and where to go on a safari holiday, but it's also those small, seemingly inconsequential decisions that we make countless times a day. Should I open this bottle of plastic water or should I go to the tap? And and those can all add up to make a larger impact. You know, that's that's certainly something that I'll be taking away from this chat. So uh, thank you for listening and uh, be sure to check in again soon for the next edition of the Singita podcast. Thank you for listening. If you want to follow other episodes of our podcast series, Safari Conversations, please follow and subscribe wherever you get your podcast from or on our website at singita.com.